evening at Capital City Church. Uh, I wanted to, to welcome you guys. Thank you for coming. And I also wanted to lead out an example by wearing just kind of a lame t-shirt and say, it's okay in this heat to just come comfortably dress. So yeah, we're trying to figure out the whole fan situation. A lot of these older churches in the city are great. They have a lot of character. They often don't have air conditioning. So you give, us, give some, you get some. Um, anyway, I just want to thank you guys for being here. We have kind of a special service today. Uh, we're gonna, our, we have our pastoral resident preaching today, and he's going to be, uh, the title of his sermon is called uh, Communion Crash Course. So we're going to be looking at the meaning of communion today and kind of doing something a little bit different in terms of the regular order of service, and he can explain that to us later. And we'll get started. All right, so tonight, uh, for the rest of our time, uh, it's going to look a little different than normal. Uh, this sermon's going to be really short, and it's going to be a little bit more of just some reflections uh, on communion. And then in a short while, we'll go downstairs and actually take communion together around the tables, uh, followed by a time of prayer and being able to hang out together. Uh, but first, I wanted to talk a little bit about communion and what it means to us. Uh, this certainly won't be uh, an exhaustive uh, thought. Uh, there will be questions that I don't answer, but hopefully this can be a time uh, that we reflect on the Lord's Supper and what that means. Because sometimes I think we uh, slip into seeing communion as, at best, just kind of a quick part of the service that we gotta get through, and then at worst, almost like a logistical nightmare. Uh, this is summarized best by uh, an article I saw this week in Christianity Today, which was talking about this Louisville pastor who had to fill up like 20,000 little communion cups and it would, for his church, and it would take like 75 volunteers two nights to get it done. So he finally just invented a machine that like did it all in a morning. And then you can just see him being like, oh my gosh, my life is back. And then it's like, but if communion's causing that much stress, are we... Are we doing something wrong? <laughs> and when all that needs to be figured out and then quick distributed, and then we can go back to the sermon, it's no wonder that sometimes the meaning of communion, not every time, but sometimes can just be missed. So I wanna take a couple moments for us to reflect on communion as it's described in a couple passages and then make it a focal point for the rest of the night. If you've taken part uh, in communion before, you've probably heard effectively two passages beforehand either Matthew, Mark, or Luke's account of Jesus initiating communion, or Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, and that's for good reason, because those are basically the two types of passages uh, that say anything substantial about it. So Luke 22, uh, 14 through 20, gives us the most details about the first communion, and so I'm gonna start there before we get to 1 Corinthians. And when the hour had come, he, Jesus, reclined at the table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now I want us to recognize the wild thing that Jesus has just done here. He's co-opted the tradition of Passover, which has gone on for a thousand years, and used it to establish effectively a new Passover. While the original Passover remembered God's providence primarily in delivering Israel from Egypt, Jesus speaks of the ultimate deliverance of his people through what he's about to do. 
During the Passover, the traditional sense, the person presiding over the meal would verbally proclaim uh, the significance of several elements at the table. While originally the wine was to represent the blood of the lambs uh, that were spread over the Israelite doorways which would save them from death, Jesus now states that it represents his blood that will usher in a whole new way for the world to work, a new covenant for his people. It's supposed to remind us of Jeremiah 31 when it talks about a new covenant that God says he will put uh, his law in the minds and write it on uh, his people's hearts. It used to be said of the bread, this is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let all who are hungry come and eat. Jesus now says, this is his body, which will be afflicted, given for us. He then charges us to remember these things, which the early church did, as alluded to in Acts 20. We see there that they took up remembering Christ as a central part of their weekly gatherings together. Now it's worth noting that neither this nor traditional Passover was just a bite of bread and a sip of wine, but rather full meals with this act as a set center stage. These sort of communal meals were all over the ancient world, in na- in the, always in the name of a deity or in the fallen hero, but Passover was different in that it not only recognized that there was their God, but also his continued goodness and specific acts of benevolence that he had done in the past. Communion built on this by having its adherents remember not only what Christ had done in the past, but continues to do now and will continue into completion in the future. All of this to say, these communal meals were meant, or these communion meals were meant to holistically remember the work of Christ as, as a community of believers. This brings us to Paul's instructions that we see in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. This passage uh, is where I hear people most often kind of trip up and miss the point of communion and get derailed into kind of side things that we don't need to do, which we'll get to in a moment. But to set the stage, in verses 17 through 19, Paul expresses uh, his displeasure at the division that has risen in the church of Corinth. Now specifically in verse 20, he talks about how it's bore itself out in communion. So we'll start there at verse 20. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. See, the churches in Corinth met in the homes of the extraordinarily wealthy because that was the only place that could possibly house them. But clearly, there were many poor Christians in Corinth as well. These house churches in Corinth seemed to treat communion more like the Greek festivals uh, or religious meals that they were accustomed to as opposed to a meal kind of like Passover, a sacred meal that was for celebration. This meant that there was plenty of room for social uh, inequality to be enforced. This happened in, in perhaps a couple different ways. The rich, not having to work during the day, could simply uh, begin eating far before the poor could come and join them, leaving just the scraps. Or it could have been that the poor were only invited to the dessert course, which had bread and wine, when the rich feasted on meats and all those sorts of things earlier. 
Or even worse, in these big buildings, it could have been that the rich were sectioned off in their own spot, eating the great stuff, while the poor picked up the scraps in the other room. All this to say, although the rich opened their homes to the church, they did so in a way that emphasized social divisions. This is what Paul is mad about. So he reminds them about the purpose of communion in the first place, in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink this, or eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, I'm not going to parse that all back out again. We talked about that earlier. Except for the last verse, it's worth mentioning this. Our act of communion is an act that proclaims the work of Christ both to ourselves and to the world. And boy, that's something that I think we all need to be constantly reminded of. But you might be wondering at this point, this passage seems kind of like a tangent. Like, it doesn't seem quite to fit with the whole heart of communion. Maybe these people in Corinth had it wrong. But why does this matter to us? Uh, And that's because these next few verses that we've been leading up to have been misquoted so often, and I just can't stand it. So let's try to straighten it out now. So verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, often I've heard these passages effectively explained as, hey, you better examine yourself and repent, otherwise you're drinking judgment on yourself. You better sit there this whole time while we play some nice music and really stew on what you could possibly be harboring and get it out there, otherwise God's going to be mad. But that's missing the point entirely. Discerning the body of Christ in that verse is a play on words. If one does not consider the needs of the body of Christ, which is the church, they miss the entire point of Christ's body and what he did. Paul is calling on the believers in Corinth, as shown in the previous verses, to make sure there is nothing in their practices of communion that bring disunity to the body, specifically in regard to people's social standing. In fact, if we miss this point of celebration and remembering, or in fact, we miss this point of celebrating and remembering Christ if we are focused on finding things to repent for in ourselves. That's not to say that if God brings to your attention something that needs repentance, that you shouldn't do so. It just means that we don't need to approach his celebration focused on finding a way to try to beat ourselves up. We can wrap the chapter up here. In verse 30, this is why uh, many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if you, uh, but if but if we are, were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not be under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we are not finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you, eat, uh, when you gather together to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further instructions. Now, truth be told, touching on verses 30 through 32 uh, would be an actual tangent that would distract us from the nature of communion, so I'm going to leave that for another time. 
But verses 33 and 34 drive the point home to us that uh, communion is to be done in unity. And anything that causes disunity is what causes us to drink judgment upon ourselves. So here are just some thoughts to consider as we transition down to take communion together. From the example of the early church, uh, as Christians, we should do communion more often than not as a church and more communally based than not. And the reason for this is because when we do communion, Christ's work in the past, the present, and the future, the whole good news, the whole gospel is proclaimed to ourselves, our community, as a church, and the world that surrounds us. Communion is a bittersweet time to be sure. It's hard to reflect on what Christ suffered for us, but let's not forget to celebrate and take joy in the fullness of what communion means.